You're listening to the Trinity Ministries podcast. For more information and to support our ministry, go to www.trinityhudson.org. For those of you who wonder who I am, I'm Pastor John. I'm the, I guess I call myself the temp guy with you. Um, I was asked, I started in November. Uh, to serve until Trinity gets its next full-time person. So, as you uh, alluded to or heard earlier, uh, Pastor Jim Bender is to be visiting uh, with you on Tuesday. Uh, if he's the person for you, then we trust that on, in the Spirit's direction, uh, he'll arrive. Well, I guess that depends on him. But it would be sometime, I'm sure, uh, prior to the summer at any rate. I'm not a cheesehead, although I suppose I could use something on my head. So let's have a prayer. Lord, we come before you today as your people. People of faith. People who have the privilege of knowing you. People who have the joy of growing as your children. People who come to worship you, to hear your truth, to be edified, to sing our thanks and our praise to you. And just to know that you are here. And so fill us, fill us with your spirit today, Jesus. Amen. The me I want to be. That's a topic, of course, that you're studying. And the sermon's over these five weeks. Today is week two of five. Uh, And I hope, I pray, that you are really committed to being the me you want to be. That is to say, to grow in your relationship with your God and with your Lord and to be enriched by the truth as you realize God can work through you to do miracles. God can work through you to touch a soul that's hurting or lonely or lost. I found that in my own life. One of the the awesome experiences that come is when you have a privilege to lead someone to Jesus. Nothing, nothing is better than that. And imagine the day you're going to meet this soul in heaven, and they're going to say, wow, you are the instrument by which I'm here, and I want to thank you for that. Nothing in life is better than that. Well, the me I want to be. If I'm going to become the me I want to be, there's some discipline in my life I need. Today's topic for the sermon and for the Bible study series has to do with, it has to do with our mind, our thoughts. If I want to become the me I want to be, that involves my intent, my desire, my wish to conform my thoughts, my mind over over to Him so He can lead us, He can lead us to know deeper Him in our faith and in our life. And that's what we want to look at today. Um, we are what we think. We are what we think. That's the subject we're going to be looking at today. I'm going to tell you a story about myself. I'm a walker. I decided to become a walker in my life in the summer of 1989. I remember that because my daughter, our youngest daughter, was a going into a junior year in high school, and I'm not sure why those two connected, but they connected with me. 
And so I, there was a, we lived in a different community, and there was an area, a circle of about two and a half miles in length that I would walk. Was, there was a golf course there. We'd walk, I would walk up the hill, and I would make that circle and, and come back again. But after I did this for a while, I discovered something about myself I didn't like. I began to realize that my thoughts, my mind, was going in directions I wasn't comfortable with. I was thinking things I had no right to think. I was imagining things that were, well, certainly not godly. What could I do about that? What was the answer for me? How could I change my mind? Well, and I'm sure the Holy Spirit had something to do with this, I began to use that time, 45 minutes, an hour, whatever amount of time I have, and I still do that today. Not on Sunday mornings, by the way. It's a little early for me. But typically, on a day, I'll get up and I'll walk before I do, well, almost anything else. And 45 minutes, an hour. And I find that and when I use that time as my private prayer time, and I have an agenda of things in my mind I pray for, family and friends and your church, by the way, and other churches in the kingdom of God and people who are martyrs to the cause, and whatever it is, people that I know who are struggling with life, who have decisions or aren't with Christ. There's a, a second cousin of mine. I've been praying for him now for, I'm not sure, seven years, maybe eight years. As a young man, he made a decision that he wasn't going to have anything to do with God. He's over 60 years old now, and he still is of that view. Tragic, frankly. But I've been praying for him. And I trust that God in his own way is going to work faith in the heart of Dan, restoring him to the family of God, which at one time he was. So for me, I discovered that was my time to spend privately with God. It helped me to become who I am. The me I want to be. I want to ask you to join me today as we look at the text from Romans uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I want you to read that with me. So let's read it together. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will be able to attest and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul says, we have to begin with the mercy of God. It always begins with God. In, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul calls God the Father of mercies. God has been merciful from the beginning. When we go back in the Bible to the beginning and, and our first parents violate the principle of God, the one command that God gave them. But it was too much within their human spirit to begin to ponder and wonder what was God holding back. And so they accepted the temptation that came from Satan and their lives were never the same again. But God didn't forget them. In the third chapter of Genesis, God said, speaking to Satan, you will forever crawl on your belly. And you, uh, you, will, you will hurt the, the heel of the one who's coming, a child of a woman, but he will rise above you. He will crush your head. That happened, of course, generations later on the cross with Jesus. 
Next, uh, next Sunday, by the way, the whole issue of temptation and Satan and reality are the topic. Jesus confronts the devil early in his ministry, and he's victorious over temptation. How does that happen? That's the subject for next week. God is merciful. God is the Father of mercy. To be merciful is to see someone in need. Many of our contemporary translations use the word compassion. God is compassionate. When God saw that our first parents violated His will, throughout the Old Testament, God was compassionate to His people. He was merciful to them. At times, His mercy, because He cared about them eternally, meant that they would become captives. As people sometimes, God allows or maybe even sends trials into our lives. Not because He's angry with us, but because He sees that the direction we're going in life is painful, it's hurtful, and somebody's going to be hurt. Somebody's going to be injured by the action of life we take. And so sometimes He has to send these trials to us because He reminds us we are in need of Him. We are in need of His grace, His power, His goodness, and love in our life. And in His mercy, He deals with us in that fashion. Paul says, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That is your spiritual act of worship. In the back of this text, of course, is the whole sacrificial system of ancient Israel. The animals that were sacrificed on the altar. That was the process by which God's people of the Old Testament were able to secure forgiveness. But Paul is writing after Jesus. And he says, that's not necessary anymore. Jesus is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. We don't have to follow a practice of animal sacrifice because Jesus was the one sacrifice needed for everyone. And by Him, God offers forgiveness and remission and new life. And so he says, you people to whom he's writing, and he's writing primarily to Jews and Gentiles. For the congregation in Rome consisted of both, primarily Gentiles, but Jews as well. He said, your lives are to be a living sacrifice. By our words, our thoughts, our actions, our voices, the way we walk, the way we live, what we say, that's the avenue in which he uses you and uses me as living sacrifices. A sacrifice is the best we can give. And that's what we are to give as living sacrifices. He says, this is your God-pleasing worship. This is the way you acknowledge God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You know, worship isn't just what we're doing here on Sunday. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is what I do on Monday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and so on. When I'm at school or when I'm at my job or when I'm with my family, my life is to be one of worship. That is praise to God. I devote my faith in my interrelationships with people. That's how they can come to know what I believe and who I am and what it means to know God, Christ, forgiveness, joy, and Him in my life. This is a spiritual act of worship, the worship of our spirit of ourselves. Paul says, however, there are two particular principles which are absolutely essential if we're going to be this kind of person. Number one, he says, we can no longer follow the pattern of the world. Now, the Gentiles to whom Paul was writing had lived in the world. 
They had lived their life in the fashion of the world. He had, the world had, had directed them in their lives, in their actions. They lived in immorality. They lived in, with various kinds of false gods. They dishonored God and they did great harm to each other. That was the pattern of the world. And the pattern of the world is always out there. It's been there from the ancient times and it's there even today. The world seeks to want us to follow its pattern. It invites us to do so. Now we have to understand that the term world in the Bible means that body of people, that populace out there that lives contrary to God. It hates God. It despises God. It rejects God. It doesn't believe in God. It lives as though He doesn't exist. And there's an enticement that comes to us each and every day to follow that pattern in our life. Paul is saying, if we're going to be living sacrifices, if we're going to honor God in the worship of our life, then we have to not follow that pattern, not follow what the life offers as the way in which we can find happiness and joy and riches. And then he says something else. He says we need to be transformed uh, by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean exactly? Well, one of my favorite writers, William Barclay, a theologian of the middle part of the 20th century, wrote this. He said, the human mind will always act on, will always set itself on something. And Paul wished to be quite sure that the Christians of Philippi, we're going to be looking at that section shortly, would set their minds those things that were right. This is something of the utmost importance because it is a law of life that as a person thinks often enough, uh, he will become uh, he will become and he will grow in that dimension until his thoughts become a groove out of which he cannot jettison himself. You know, as pastors, we often learn things from, from parishioners and people. And uh, in a vacancy that I was serving, uh, we were having a Bible study. And uh, we, after the study, we divided down into small groups, and my wife Marilyn was in one of the groups. And one of the ladies in that group, who was a mom, had children about early teenage years, shared with the group, she said, be careful. Be careful what you think. Be careful uh, what comes into your mind because Satan can mug you. To be mugged by Satan is to be in a stranglehold, and that's, the, that's what can happen. So we need to be careful. We need to have our minds renewed. And our mind renewal is to look at those things that are proper and godly and to follow Him, to live in His grace and goodness and to let our lives reflect out of that. Uh, in this way, Paul says, we will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. There are different aspects of what God's will may be for your life and mine. It was God's will for me that I would become a pastor. I didn't intend to become a pastor, candidly. That wasn't, wasn't what I imagined my life would be. But God had a way of coming into my life and calling me to this role. And I have no doubts it was what I was supposed to be. That God called me to be who I am. But God doesn't call everybody to be pastors. Matter of fact, He doesn't call most people to be pastors. I think he's calling Nate, by the way, but, uh, you know, I think that's, uh, uh, he's headed in that direction. I think God's call is pretty obviously in his life. But there are two particular principles that are absolutely true that are God's will. One is what he 
Paul wrote to Timothy when he said, God wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God's will is that no one would ever go to hell. God's will is that that would not happen. Hell is a reality. Nobody spoke about hell more in the Bible than Jesus himself. So that's a possibility, but that's never what God wants. And the avenue of making sure that doesn't happen is that they need to know Jesus as the truth of God. They need to know that God so loved them and the world, that that body of people that, that opposes Him, His love is still for them. But those persons need to come to know that God has redeemed them and loved them and sent Jesus to be their Savior for them. That's the number one most important thing that the church has to do in its function and its calling. And the church is people, not a building, not an institution. It's you and me. We are the ecclesia. God's called people from the world to serve and honor and serve Him and to touch others in His name. The second aspect of God's will that's true for all of us is what Paul wrote to the Christians in Thessalonica when he said, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that your life and my life should grow in faith so that God's presence is seen in what we say and do and think and talk and live. People ought to see our faith through our words and our actions, through our compassion and through our caring to be His people in the world. Now if that's going to happen, then our minds need to be engaged in that process. We can't allow ourselves to be mugged by the devil, to be in his stranglehold. And so Paul wrote, if we want to know those things for which we pray, Paul listed a number of them in Philippians 4, verse 8. So we're going to look at that. And uh, let's ask you, I'm going to ask you to join me as we read this together, because these are subjects for which we ought to pray. This is where our prayer life is to be focused. These are the subjects which will help our minds to become more like they're supposed to be, that we become people who think and rejoice and offer ourselves to God. So let's, let's say these together. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In your prayer time, in those quiet moments of your life, where your mind becomes disengaged from a project, this is the subject, this is the kind of direction our, our thoughts, our mind is to take us. And if that happens, or as that happens, we will become closer and closer to the me I want to be. That's my prayer for you. That at the end of this five-week series, you will find yourself having grown in your relationship to Christ, becoming the person you want to be in a deeper way, more compassionate, more caring, more loving, more faith-oriented and directed for your life. I want to pray. Lord, help us to grow in our faith and life. Help us to grow in our relationship to you. Help us to honor and praise you. Help us to touch others with your love. Touch others with the gift of faith. 
touch others in such a way that they too might come to know you in a deeper way. Help us to grow in our sanctification and thus fulfill your will for us. In the name of Jesus the Savior, amen. <music>